we are in the middle of a series called, Does God Really Love Me? Does God really love me? I think it's been a powerful series so far. Uh, and, and we really need all of these reminders. We need to look at, at the scriptures about God's love. We need to hear this truth on a consistent basis because we can wonder in our lives if God really does love us. Or a word that I've been using is, does God still love us? You know, when I make mistakes, does God really love me? When, when I turn from him and run in a different direction, does God really love me? If I walk away from him, if I walk away from the church and I come back, will God love me then? And so we need to navigate these types of ideas and what the scripture promises to us on a consistent basis. I've heard a lot of good stories from this series. I always hear some bad stories too. Uh, and that, that is part of the gig. But I've heard some re really great stories from some of you. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to somebody earlier who said, you know, I always knew that God loved me because he, he kind of has to love me. It's, it's written in the Bible. But I've never really been exposed to this idea that God delights in me, that God enjoys, enjoys me. And it's changed my prayer life. It's changed my journey with Christ over the course of these last few weeks. Another conversation I had with somebody was talking about just kind of unpacking this consistent reality of God's love. And this person was saying, you know, in my life, it's easy to drift away from God and then all of a sudden come quickly back under the Lord's love. And then I drift away from God and then I come back quickly. And it's like, I've never been able to sustain a consistent walk with Jesus and understanding his love for me over this journey has been life-changing. These are the stories that, that we love to hear about. And I think they reinforce why we need to do this from time to time to really focus in and hone in on consecutive messages about God's love for us because we do drift right? We do drift away. We forget things. We forget truths and promises that have been taught to us before. Life happens. Hardships happen. And when those things happen in our life over the course of time, you know, there can be a catastrophic event in your life that all of a sudden just changes your trajectory and your walk with Christ. Or it can be like this consistent kind of slow stepping away. And the next thing you know, you're like a, a boat that's just drifting in the ocean, being tossed from every wind and wave that comes your way. And what happens is your foundation on God's love gets very shaky. And you don't know how to stand. And when those little moments or those big moments happen, you begin to ask questions like, is God even paying attention to my life right now? Does he still love me? Does he love me even when? Fill in the blank. I walk away. I make mistakes. It seems like my life doesn't look very much like Jesus at all. Does God still love me? We start to ask those questions. And when we ask those questions, our foundation gets a little shaky. It, it can feel like our walk with God is on uneven ground. Right, as I was, I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of a drought that my family, my wife and I and our kids had to go through. When we lived in Kansas City about seven years ago, there was a, a serious drought that hit much of the Midwest, but really impacted Kansas City. The drought was so bad that the earth just like contracted into itself. It started pulling away from everything. And really what happened, if you imagine like the foundation of your home and the dirt that butts up next to it, the earth just kind of shrunk up, leaving a crack all the way around your house. And 
all of the experts were like, look, this is really bad. If it starts to rain, all the water's gonna go in that crack. So you need to go to Home Depot or wherever you go and buy a bunch of fresh dirt and fill in all of those cracks. And you know how humanity works, right? Like some of us listened to that and some of us did not. And the rains came. And it, was, it was like a flash flood. They came with such force. And when they came, everybody who didn't fill in those cracks, the water just did. It just rushed right into those holes and those gaps all around your house. And it was costly. There were people that had to refinance their home just to pay for the foundation repairs. And we're talking foundation sealant. We're talking about all the work that comes around that stuff. But, but the worst case scenarios, like they had to bring a construction company in and they had to do piers in their basement and mud jacking in their basement. We're talking twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 plus for some of these repairs. Foundation work, if you've not had to do it as a homeowner, it's brutal. It is just costly. When your foundation gets out of whack, it is an expensive, expensive cost. And this is exactly what happens to our faith all of the time. Our foundation with God, our relationship with him that's primarily supposed to be built upon love and love first, it gets shaky when life happens. If you're new to Christianity or, or, or maybe you're not following Jesus, I'm gonna let you in on something on the front end that is gonna save a lot of turmoil for you in the days to come. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean your life magically gets amazing. There's, there's some serious trials and persecution in this book. Just read the book of Job in the Old Testament. Read the book of Revelation in the New Testament. Life doesn't always get easier when you become a Christian. Actually, for some, it gets a little harder. You just have these anchors and you have this foundation that you can rest upon when life just hits you upside the head. And it will, right? It, life has its way of coming around to kind of, kind of getting in everyone's face. Your finances will fail. You might lose a job, a long-lasting relationship that you've put a lot of trust in might crumble and fall apart. Kids' attitudes, I've seen this one so much. It's like angel child to, who are you? I don't even recognize you. Habitual sins that we think we've conquered resurface and come back again. And it's in these moments where our life gets shaken that we have to know how to answer the question of, does God really love me? We can't replace God activity with our first love. We can't replace godly looking things with a personal relationship with the Lord. We need to keep our first love the first love. We can drift. And not only can we drift, but the devil really doesn't want you to have a good relationship with God. I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but as you drift, the devil would love to destroy any semblance of, a, of what you have left of a relationship with God. And so as we drift and as Satan attacks, this is like a recipe for a lot of shaking. Or you can step back and, and after months or, or after years, you can be like, I'm just a shell of who I used to be. What has happened to not only my walk with God, but, but who I am, who I thought I was. We can feel isolated and we can struggle with shame and condemnation. Fear starts to rise up. Anxiety starts to make decisions for us instead of faith. And we can find ourselves grasping for God's love, mercy, and grace. And on our best days, it feels like his voice is simply on mute. 
It's in these moments that we need to be able to, to rest on God's truth. It's in these moments that we need to be able to build our life on the foundation that is God's never-ending perfect love for you and me. Life gets shaky. And the promise is that in the midst of that shaking, God's love will never collapse on us. It'll never collapse. It'll always stay true. Today's message is titled Unshakable Love because God's love is the most stable. It's steady, it is consistent, and it's a foundation that we can build on. Today's text is from Romans 8, starting in verse 31. This is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. I'm gonna read about nine verses in a row, and then throughout the rest of the message, we'll kind of look back at some of the, some of the ideas and some of the themes. This is what it says, Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a powerful promise and text to us this morning. A quick little bit of context for us. Paul is taking some time in this letter to address Christians. He's writing to Christians, those uh, who have already decided to follow Jesus. That's that's many of us in this room this morning. And Paul is saying to us that, that here are some promises you can build your life on. Here are some truths for you to understand, to know, and to build your life on that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet following Jesus, you're exploring the faith, then let me say to you that these promises can be true about your life too. These promises can absolutely be true about your life as well. These promises just weren't for the church of a a few thousand years ago. The church of yesterday, they are promises for you and for me For right now, Paul starts by asking three amazing questions and he does it almost rapid fire. It's just bam, 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 one after another, after another. And so I'm just gonna kind of take his cue and ask these questions. And then later on in the text, Paul kind of lays out some real concrete ideas, some actual things that shake us when it comes to our love with God. And we'll get to those as well. But Paul starts by asking these questions The first question he asks is, who can be against you? Who can be against you? Verse 31, 
If God is for you, who can be against you? And of course, in our life, we've come up against enemies. We've come up against foes who try to destroy who we are, destroy our faith or destroy our walk with God. Of course, that's a reality. But Paul isn't asking this question to get a literal answer. He's asking this question because in comparison to God's love, it's like no one can come against you. That's how big, that's how enormous, that's how complete his love is for you. He's drawing these comparisons that if God and God's love is for you, nothing else has a chance. Nothing can come against you. Then he asks a second question, who can accuse you? Who can accuse you? And this is a really interesting question because the readers would have known that in the Bible, one of the names they use for Satan is the accuser. This is one of the names that is given to the devil, the person who stands before God and accuses you day and night, brings up all of your history, all of your junk, and just stands before God and says, yeah, but this thing, they're just a total wreck with that. And they keep messing up in this area and they just character assassination after character assassination right before, right before God over your life. And Paul says, who? Who can accuse you? No one can accuse you because Jesus Christ and what he has done has made you to stand righteous with God. The, the death and the resurrection, Christ's sacrifice for us means that nobody has any power to accuse you anymore. And then he follows it up with a third question, who can condemn you? Three questions back to back to back. And I think this question has one of the best answers uh, right after it, it says, or when, when asked, Paul says, who can condemn you? The next scripture in verse 34 says, no one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Look at that phrase, pleading for us. Jesus Christ is pleading for you. In the original language, it, it means that he's praying for you or interceding for you before God the Father. Have you ever just let your mind and your heart just drift into that amazing reality, that truth? Just let yourself go to this place where you realize that what the scripture says is that Jesus is interceding on your behalf. That is an amazing truth. That every time you make a mistake, every time Satan accuses you, tries to accuse you before God, Jesus is standing right there at God's side saying, yeah, but I died for that person. Yeah, but they've received my love. They've decided to follow me. No, they're not perfect. But I gave myself to create a relationship with you. He's pleading for you. He's interceding for you. This, I mean, sermon over right there, but I have too much else to talk about. So just tuck that one away. That is, a, that is an amazing, an amazing truth. This is why Paul can ask three questions back to back to back with rapid fire. Who can be against you? Who can accuse you? Who can condemn you? And give such a clear and definitive answer in response. No one, nothing, never because of what Jesus Christ has done. Not because of what we do in and of ourselves, but because of, of what Christ has done for us. This is truly unshakable love. It's unshakable love. And he takes these three questions and then, and then he kind of summarizes this whole idea with one kind of granddaddy question of them all. He asks, can anything ever separate you from God's love? Can anything ever separate you from God's love? As I read through this, 
this text, I call the next part of this section, the yeah, but section. The yeah, but section. So almost like Paul knows he can deliver this argument and he can, he can present these truths to humans, but we're humans, we make mistakes. And he almost like anticipates how, the, how we're gonna respond with qualifiers and how we're gonna try to interject and we're, and we're gonna say, yeah, God, nothing can separate us from God's love. But what about this one thing? Yeah, yeah, but what about my sin? Yeah, but what about the financial systems? Or, or yeah, but what about the government? Or yeah, but what about my broken family systems? Yeah, but. And Paul says, no, nothing. I am convinced that nothing can separate you from God's love. And, and, and it, it's almost like we try to double down again. What about persecution? What about the trials? What about the hardships? What about my addictions? What about, what about my hidden sins, the secret part of my life that no one else knows about? If they only knew, if God, you only knew. And Paul says nothing, no one can separate you from God's love. I feel like he just lays it on thick. And I wanna, I wanna read this last part of the text again because he just starts listing things that, that maybe we've even wrestled with ourselves. He starts listing things one after another after another and says, none of these things qualify. None of these things can stick to you. And just goes through a list, verse 38, one more time. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I think, I think the question that we need to wrestle with is, are we that convinced of God's love? This is convicting language. There's nothing that's going to shake Paul. There is nothing that is going to make this truth waver in his life. And I think we need to ask ourselves the question, do I believe in it that much? Am I that convinced? Am I that convicted that nothing can shake me and separate me from God's love? And Paul is using extreme language here. He's using, uh, he, he's using almost these complete opposites, life, death. And he's not doing that to speak specifically about these things, although I think he is. He's more using this language to saying this is the expansiveness. This is, how, this is how big it is. This is the enormity of it. Life, death, angels, demons, nothing above, nothing below. None of it can separate you from God's love. Are you that convinced? And, and I, I imagine that a room this size with this many people, we probably all have areas where we can grow. We all have little things that can trip us up, that make us wonder, that make us ask the question, does God love me still? Does he really love me? And so what I wanna do is I wanna take some of these phrases and I wanna, I wanna test you this morning just to see where you're at. I wanna challenge, I wanna use some of this language and just, and just poke a little bit and put our finger on a, on a few. Can we do that? Some of you are like already crossing your arms and shaking your head. Um, we, we've been together for a while. You know that I do this. You know that I like to challenge. Okay, so let's, let's just take a look at some of these phrases and wrestle with some of these things and just be honest with ourselves before God about which one of these things have a little bit of a grip on our heart. The first one is death. 
The first one is death. How do you feel about death? Does death scare you? Does the afterlife intimidate you? Scripture says that, that if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to worry about death. It's an upgrade. But as you, as you move towards the end of your life, what kind of thought processes do you find yourself in? How are you living your life? Are, are you trying to control everything so that you can live as long as you possibly can? Does death have a grip on your heart? Is it beginning to separate you and shake you a little bit from God's love? Or, or maybe you're, you're younger, you're not close to the end of your life, but the way that you live is all fear-based so that you don't die. Scripture says life or death, none of this can separate you from God's love. You can experience God's love today while you're alive. And when you die and you enter into heaven, you can experience his love for eternity. Neither life nor death can separate you from God's love. Next, what, what about spiritual darkness? What about spiritual darkness? It says angels or demons. And again, of course, Paul is using this expansiveness of the spiritual reality to talk about all things in the, in the spiritual realm. Does spiritual darkness separate you from God's love? I'm, I'm sure we've all had nightmares. Maybe some of us have even had night terrors where we wake up, we, just, we simply cannot fall back asleep or we're walking down a hallway or an alleyway and we get gripped with some kind of dark presence and we don't know what to do. Do you begin to have more faith in that feeling and that darkness than God's love? Does that reality of, of spiritual darkness begin to dictate to you how you walk with Jesus? Or is God's love your foundation and anchor? And you know what, as Christians, we've gotten like really good. As Christians, we've gotten really good at, at trusting in darkness more than God's love and masking it in Christian language. Here, here, here's what I mean. You, you can meet people who all they ever do is they pray away darkness. I'm gonna pray away darkness. I'm gonna pray away darkness. I'm gonna pray away darkness. And you never have a conversation with them about the light and the love of Jesus because they're so fixated on the darkness that's around them. They're so fixated on trying to pray away everything that feels off that they never have a prayer life just to experience God's love and a personal connection with him. And we've gotten really good as Christians as not, as, as, from like focusing on the wrong things, right? And we're fixated and we have tunnel vision on darkness instead of experiencing at a personal level the expansiveness of God's love. But Paul says, none of this can separate you. And in another one of his letters, he says, don't be ignorant about darkness. But nowhere in scripture does it say, focus your entire life on spiritual darkness. Christians, that's church. That, that's a little weird. Can our foundation be on God's love? Can our focus be on this eternal love that God has for us? I'm gonna continue. When it's really quiet in here, I always know that it's either something is landing or nobody likes it. It's one of those two extremes. So we're just gonna keep charting ahead. What about... Finances. What about your family? Here, here's one. What about the coronavirus? 
That's nervous laughter is what that is. <laughs> Seriously. It, it says your worries about today or the future. Who are our kids going to become? What is my bank account going to look like? And for the love of God, what am I going to do with the coronavirus? <laughs> this, is, this is a real thing right now. Have you been paying attention to the pulse on our culture? Our culture is so afraid right now. They are so afraid right now about a virus that's spreading. And, and listen, I'm not trying to minimize. I'm not trying to say it's a, it's a small deal. There is precaution that should be had. But fear? But fear. Remember the first message from the series, Does God Really Love Me? First John chapter four, perfect love casts out fear. It drives it out. God's love drives fear out of your life. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to be controlled by fear anymore. Yet, if you look at our culture, and even if you look at the church culture in America right now, people are freaking out. There is a shortage of shotguns in Arizona right now because people are gathering as much as they can. You can't buy antibacterial hand soap anywhere. Anywhere. You can't buy toilet paper anywhere. Amazon Prime, one by clicks, right? I mean, this is, this is where you can go. It is, it's crazy to me to watch how fear is beginning to run the show. Church, can we be a little different? Can, can we take precautionary steps, but can we not let fear run our lives? Can we demonstrate to the world around us that because our life is grounded and rooted and growing in the love of God that we can function without fear? This is like the best city to live in anyway. You know, we have a CDC like down the street, right? And I've played Pandemic the board game. I know how, to, how this all works. I'm not, by no means am I an expert uh, around this whole thing, but we do have a CDC in town and one of the sweetest families I've ever met in my life the father of that family is an epidemiologist that is an expert at the CDC and he goes to our church. So not only are you in the best city, you're in the best church in town. We got... <laughs> but we've had conversations with him and, uh, and we've asked, you know, like what, what's going on with this? Can you give us some kind of inside track? And he basically reiterated everything I just said. Precaution is good. Have a plan. We have a plan. We have steps that we can take here at Vineyard Church of the Rockies. But, but he said, fear is not the answer. Being afraid to go to church because of, of general assembly, that's not the answer. Going to, I went to Walgreens last week to buy a bottle of ibuprofen. And the lady in front of me had just taken everything off the cold and flu medicine like rack. Like I'm talking fifth, and you know, I had one bottle. She had like a hundred things to buy. It always happens that way, but it was all the emergency packets. She's gonna pump like two or three things of those a day. She had all the cold medicine. She's asking for, for masks, but apparently Walgreens was sold out like a week ago. This is what's happening. And it's, a, it's impacting more than, than our daily lives. It's impacting the stock market. The volatility of the stock market is crazy. It's affecting and impacting our relationships. Schools have like one case and they shut it down for the week. Have you been watching this? 
Church, we do not have to be subjected to a culture of fear. We serve the King of Kings. We can stand on his love. Precaution is good. Fear, it might sell in our culture right now. But you, as a follower of Christ, do not have to ascribe to a life of fear. Since I'm on the current event train, let me ask another one. What about religious, political, or financial entities, systems, organizations? You know, coronavirus is, is hitting the news right now, but we, we also had a, a big Tuesday about a week ago, a super Tuesday, in fact. And for some of us, this is beginning to erode at our relationship with Jesus. There is an election coming in November, if you, if you weren't aware of that. And the Sunday after that election day, some will come in here wanting to celebrate and some will come in here wanting to mourn. This is what happens in the United States. And for some of us, we, we look at who's going to be the next president and we allow it to shake our core. We allow it to shake our heart. We allow it to shake our relationship with God. But the scripture says nothing. Nothing can separate you. Do you wanna know how much power the president has over your personal loving relationship with God? Zero percent. Whoever is elected has zero control over your personal relationship with Jesus. And if you don't agree with me, ask some of the millions of believers who are subjected to tyrannical rulers who have completely eliminated the ability to worship Jesus in their country, their heart is so alive with passion and love for God that nothing will take them. Nothing will shake them from the love of God. It doesn't matter. You are in the driver's seat of your loving relationship with God. You are. Financial systems, what's gonna happen to your 403 or 401k? I don't even have one, so... I don't know how the numbers work. You know what I mean. We let what's in our checking account dictate to us how our relationship with God and with others is doing. As if God loves us more if we've got three months savings tucked away. He doesn't love you more. What about religious systems? What about religion? Has religion shaken you to your core? And, and listen, I am keenly aware that for some of us, out of all of these lists, this is the one that may have done the most damage for you. I am keenly aware that the voice of shame and condemnation, the voice of fear, the voice of, 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 of just how much how far away you are from God has come because somebody like me has put on a microphone and misused the gospel and planted a seed of God's condemning voice in your mind. And now that's just been on repeat. It's, it's had you step away from the church or maybe step away from the faith. And if that's you and you're here this morning, then I just wanna say, I am sorry that that has been your experience. I am sorry that, that somebody abused the spiritual power at some point in your life, but I can tell you that's not how we do it here. That is not how we do it here. 
But for some of us, we, we have been convinced that God can't love us anymore or only has a little bit of love left for us because you've heard somebody preach the gospel in a way that's not honoring to God. Religious systems, however, however tragic the history is, cannot keep you from the love of God. Bad theology cannot keep you from the love of God. Bad preaching cannot keep you from the love of God. God loves you with an unending Love. Paul says, I am convinced, nothing. One last thing. One that maybe is the hardest for us to wrestle with, the hardest for us to wrestle down. One other thing that can separate us from God's love. And that's you. That's you. Death nor life, he says, angels nor demons, present or future, any powers from above or below, nothing in the entire created realm can separate you from God's love. But sometimes don't we do a pretty good job of keeping ourselves away from God's love? Don't we do a pretty good job of separating ourselves? You might not be afraid of the coronavirus. You, you might not let spiritual darkness take you over but you've gotten pretty good at keeping God's love at an arm's length or even further away. You keep reminding yourself of all of your past sins and mistakes. You have this tape that just plays a condemning or shameful voice over and over and over again. And every time you see any kind of growth in your spiritual life, you say, yeah, but you better not do that again. I can't fall this way again if I allow that to happen again. And we keep reminding God of all the things that he's forgiven us for. I'm such a failure. I'm always gonna be second place. No one will ever truly love me. I'm gonna have to hide and protect because they can only love this part of me. I've always been an addict. I've always been full of rage. I've always been a cheater. I've always been X, Y, Z. And we project these things onto God, but God doesn't talk to us that way. God doesn't talk to us that way. And you know what the scary thing about this kind of tape that plays in our minds over and over and over again is it's accusatory and it's full of shame and it's full of condemnation. And what the scripture says is that's actually not God's voice. That's the devil's voice. And a scary thought for us, for some of us to wrestle with this morning is that we've become more familiar with a voice that sounds like the devil than a voice that sounds like Jesus. But God wants to set you free from that. He doesn't speak to you that way. When, when you read scripture, what kind of internal voice do you attribute to the voice of Jesus? When you read the gospels and, and you come across those red words where Jesus is actually speaking, how do you interpret that tone? How do you say it in your head? That's gonna tell you a lot about what kind of voice you're familiar with. He doesn't speak with a condemning voice to you. He doesn't play that tape and then rewind it and play it again. And he doesn't teach you obedience from a place of condemnation. You better do the right next thing or else. That doesn't sound like Jesus. But some of us have just adopted that as God's voice and applied it to our life. I'm telling you this morning, God wants to set you free from that. It's not who he is. That's not how he speaks to us. Paul says nothing, nothing, not even you, not even those tapes you play over and over 
and over again can separate you from God's love. Verse 34, Jesus is praying for you. As we prepare to move into our time of reflection and then ministry time, realize this, Jesus is praying for you right now that you can have an experience with God's love and be set free from the shame, from the condemnation, that anything and everything that's keeping you separate from God's love, that that gap would be closed by the power of Christ. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Let's pray.